Hey, what's up guys? In this special bonus second part edition of the Music is Wind podcast, we are resuming our conversation with Brian Ewald, the guitar Jedi. He kind of reminds me of like Obi-Wan Kenobi uh, who plays guitar. He's always got something to teach me and he is always full of wisdom and awesome guitar licks. If you didn't catch the first episode, I highly recommend you go back and do that. I also want to let you know about today's sponsor, Audio Blocks. If you are looking for royalty-free music to use in any of your projects, you will find hundreds of thousands of studio clips, sound effects, and much more for you to use. All royalty-free, always updated. Go to audioblocks.com slash musiciswin. That's audioblocks, A-U-D-I-O-B-L-O-C-K-S dot com slash musicswin. And now, let's jump right back into our conversation with Mr. Brian Ewald, the Guitar Jedi. I've grown up in, like my whole life playing, like in when I first started playing in cover bands, mo- the majority of the bands that I've played in have been trios. And um, they're, you know, we do non-trio music a lot. So I'm used to trying to find ways to play, uh, you know, even if, you know, you, you take a song like um, Bodhisattva, you know, um, uh, and then um, that has that little guitar melody. Um, and then it's, then they add a harmony to it, you know, but finding ways to. You know, finding ways to play the harmony parts or learn the horn line. Um, when you're gigging, to me, like if there's three things happening, there's usually one key element. What do you think, uh, kind of on the subject of of guitar playing and in, in, as a session musician, and you know, you kind of always have to be on, I think, especially when you go and film, you know, stuff for PRS or doing your session work at home. What is your current like maintenance program for guitar. I know a lot, at least for me, I practice when I'm creating content almost is like that's become my practice routine. Is it something similar with you or do you have a a regimented uh, amount of time that you spend each day or each week working on things and maintaining? No, I wish I did. And I, 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 everybody out there watching, I highly recommend doing it. When I was young, I started playing very young and I used to just play guitar constantly. And I always had ADD with that. Like I would sit down and try to like practice something and it just turned me into, just turned into noodling. You know, um, I have a, a, a very limited focus for like regimented practice, but um, my practice time really is not always um, designated to what I want to do. It's kind of what I have to do. Like I, I always have a long list of songs that I have to prepare, whether it's for a session coming up, whether it's for a gig, like, you know, doing higher gun work, I might have to learn, you know, 30 tunes uh, for a band um, that, you know, sometimes I'm learning songs that I actually played the guitar on, and it's an artist that I play with every once in a while. Like, there's a guy named Shane Gamble that I play, I've probably played on 40 or 50 songs from, he just writes and writes and writes, and he puts out these albums, and he's a great writer, and um, every time I talk to him, I, I got a new song, I got a new song. So it's like, um, you know, I'm, I'm playing tons of guitar for him and then I, but I only play live with him every once in a while. Um, you know, when there's time, when I have time in my schedule and I have to go back and relearn all these songs, um, that I, 
maybe never played live or I played once in the studio and then forgot. Um, uh, and then in various different bands that I'm in, I always have something coming up that I'm like, oh, I have to prep these songs. So that's what I, any free time I have, if I'm playing at home, it's usually, and I have a laundry list of songs that I want to learn for my, I save like Instagram and YouTube videos all the time of like some killer player doing something really neat. And I was like, that's awesome. I want to learn that or I want to work on that. And I just save it. And once every six months I go through and like hit a couple of them. But um, I, that's, that's part of my goal this year is to get better about coming up with that. But well, the point is, I think, is the early the earlier days you mentioned were a time for that development. And also, I think just putting your hands on the frets, this is something that I always kind of preach is don't put pressure on yourself to have the 12-hour-a-day Steve Vai mega routine. Just put your hands on your guitar every single day. I think that yeah, should yeah. be something that anybody strives for and then depending on what type of player you are and what kind of goals you have, what sort of mo motivates you will kind of dictate how you move through your guitar life, whether it's, I'm going to do this for an hour a day, I'm going to do this for 10 minutes a day. It doesn't really matter what the time frame is. It just matters that you're being conscious of, I got to play the guitar today and really wanting yeah. to do it, uh, I think is you know, something that will reveal itself. I, I agree. And I, and, and speaking of that, you know, it's the, the idea I grew up always, you know, my goal was like, I wanted to do everything like as best as I could, like you want to, and I think that's the nature of most guitar players. Um, like you want to be able to sit down and have somebody be like, Oh, you know, can you play jazz? And then you play like the most ridiculous thing. And Oh, can you play country? Oh. And then you just shred like, Oh, can you play metal? And like, and obviously there are people who can do that, you know, but really the think of like your favorite players, right? It's not that they aren't versatile and being versatile is great, but what you love about them is them sounding like themselves. And, and it could be somebody who's got like, like an Eric Johnson who has just amazing facility, obviously, but a musicality and you hear him and you right away know, Oh man, that it's, it's like hearing a human voice and you go, I recognize that voice, right? Jeff Beck to me, like, is an idol. Like, I just, you know, um, and you you think about how, like, unique each of those players are. Um, and that, to me, is like the goal. That should be most people's goal. And it's hard to get out of the whole thing. You know, I've, I'm totally okay with saying now, like, somebody going, calling me for a, a gig or a session and saying, hey, um... I, you know, I, I want to send this job your way and I can go, you know what? There are a lot of guys. I can give you numbers of local guys who do that thing better than me. Like, I love it and I appreciate the, but that's not like my, I can get through it, but why not? Why have me like do a, a pretty good job of, of doing a jazz gig? I know guys who just crush it. You know, that's just not my... And I'm okay with it. And it's like, and, and really finding that thing where you're, you find your voice and what makes you, you, and you don't have to do everything great. Um, it's if you love jazz and you're driven to play it and learn it because man, I just, I mean, I can't, like it moves you then do it. Like, but if you're only learning it just because you want to be a jack of all trades, you know, there's versatile, amazing guitar players out there everywhere. Um, 
but the really the ones that people know, um, I mean, think about like guys like Keith Richards and, you know, Santana and all this, you know, it's like, they're not trying to do everything, you know, oh, Santana, here's my country tune. Here's my, you know, it's like, but they, they have staying power because they have such a, uh, a recognizable voice and a sound. And it also is tied to songs. Songs are what really make the world go round. You know, I grew up, Van Halen, like, was what I wanted to be as a kid. And then I discovered, like, Steve I and Satriani and, you know, Eric Johnson and Alan Holdsworth. And even though they were, I, I was hyper-focused on just guitar. I was not a song guy, really. I mean, I was, but I, like, I would fast forward to the guitar solos. I was just guitar, guitar, guitar. Right. Um, and then as I grew into, like, really appreciating songcraft and songwriters and, and different types of guitar players that weren't necessarily choppy, you know, we were, you know, I still love that stuff. But going back and looking at those players, I realized that it was still, they still are melodic players. There's still songs there. Um, it wasn't just technique to be tech, you know, to be fancy. Um, they had, you know, I mean, that I could still listen to those early Satriani records and like sing all those parts. Like to me, it's, it's music, it's melody. What would you say your, uh, some of your go-to, you, earlier on in, in our chat, you mentioned licks that you kind of become habitual. What are some of those for you? Because I think it's, it's always fun. Like for myself, I, I find that I'll default to like, it's like a bluesy thing. Do you have some sort of thing that always sounds good to your ear that you know that you do too much, but you're never going to stop doing it? And that's the thing that you're trying to escape from sometimes. Oh yeah, like if I just pick up a guitar and I'm like just jamming, I do the same thing. It's you know, I wouldn't necessarily say minor pentatonic straight, but I do this kind of like dominant chord. Um, I tend to do a lot of stuff with double stops. Um, and I think that comes from a lot of all my days in trios and, you know, having no rhythm guitar player. So like if I'm playing these big chords and then I go to do a solo and it's too, you know, single notey and plinky. And especially like I grew up playing a cheap guitar through a, you know, a really small, quiet amp. So like everybody else is loud in the band. And the only time I could be heard is when I'm bashing on the guitar. So that if I went to go do a solo, I had to play like, I had to play big, thick sounding solos to like punch through the mix. Um, but, and also just harmonically, if there's no rhythm guitar player, but you're playing a song that's got like all this stuff going on, you know, just trying to keep as much of like the harmony of the song intact. Um, and I certainly am not trying to break out of that, but um, I do have a habit. Like you mentioned the doing the demos for PRS. The hardest thing for me to do a demo is just sit there and play unaccompanied with something like as soon as somebody else starts playing or there's a groove something that you can have a, a give and take with it's so like to me it's like ah that's where like music starts happening when I just have to sit there and create it by myself um I man I run out of ideas all the time and I feel like I just default back to you know um but even is something as simple as having a loop pedal and just being able to sit there and go like and have like a like a some sort of rhythmic click, like, uh, 
know, if that beat wasn't there, like just sitting there going like, doesn't sound like much. But as soon as you hear that backbeat, you know, it's like all of a sudden those little stabs become interesting. And a lot of what I play in my head, like I'm hearing that kind of pulse going on, even if it's not there, but I feel like I have to overplay to give people the, well, like overplay rhythmically. There has to be so much, so much going on. So people hear like the rhythmic structure is, as long as there was something back there, like a basic backbeat and a click, then you can just sit back and play what to me sounds more like music. Um, but doing, you know, unaccompanied guitar demos, you don't really get that, you know. I, I'd like to have, like, a, just a little uh, drummer, my, like, my son, just follow me around with, like, a kick drum and a snare drum. And I can be like, kick a beat. And then, like, we can just go, you know, like, but um, unfortunately, there's not the budget in that. For, you need to um, pitch that to uh, next time you do a demo, pitch that. <laughs> That'd probably get a lot of, a lot of attention. It's like, this guy does gear demos, but his kid's playing drums in the back, and it's really cool. <laughs> yeah. Actually, you know, the first, the first, now that I think about it, I think if I remember correctly, the first PRS demo I did was because it was when they came out with the um, P22 and they had just put the, you know, the, the piezo system into a solid body, you know, PRS because before that the, the preamp was too big. It only fit in the hollow body and they redesigned it. So they wanted me to do a loop. Like they wanted me to create a song with one guitar, but try to make it, you know, sound acoustic and clean with some, you know, and I actually did it right here. Like they came and filmed it here. Um, and I just, I mean, I don't remember, I ripped off something that I'd been listening to. I don't know. I like had some progression in my head and it was probably, I think it was like a, uh, a Bon Iver song or something that I was like subconsciously just had to, and I just played like this little melody and then just play and, um, layered it and looped it. And, um, it was, but that was so much easier because it was like, it felt like a song, um, than just sitting here like going here, listen to me play, you know, blues licks for, for 10 hours at NAMM, which after a while is kind of, you know, I mean, there's guys who do that so well, you know, that could just, I could sit down and listen to play unaccompanied for, for hours. And I feel like you never hear them repeat anything. When I listen to myself, I'm like, oh, you got to start stealing some new licks my friend yeah it's the it's constant i mean blues is like the one genre where you can repeat a lot of motifs without it getting stale but even like you said unaccompanied it, it can get kind of tired do you always have a a loop pedal set up like for for when you're sitting down or is that just something for today like a prs or do i always have one well, right now, so I was, um, uh, before, you know, before we started this call and last night, I came home from a, a gig last night and started working. I've got like a backlog of studio stuff I have to catch up on. So um, I'll be taking my live, I've got my live pedal board down here, which is not always down here, but um, I have a boatload of, um, here, you want me to show you around the studio real quick? That sounds good. Okay. Let's do it. Here, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pick up the camera. Let's see, I'm gonna, let's flip this thing. No, let's leave it. All right, so I've got like this shelf of pedals over here. Um, That's a glorious shelf. Yeah, most of them, I've got like, my pedal board is down here. Uh, I've got other pedals, the pedals are lying around the house everywhere, uh, much to the chagrin of my wife. Um, 
And then, you know, I've got, here's my, you know, my little tiny rack set up. I sit, it's very cozy in here. Um, and then, you know, guitars kind of everywhere. I've got basses over there. Um, I've got more guitars upstairs. These are the ones that I tend to go to. Um, but then usually I have an amp sitting out here and then in the ISO booth, um, I've got cabinets pre-miked and set up. I can also use that as a vocal ISO booth. But um, I bring this pedal board down here uh, when I'm tracking. So there's a loop pedal. I use the timeline on there for looping. Um, I, use, I, do, I do looping a lot on my uh, acoustic gigs, but um, I don't do live looping on electric that often. Uh, but I, I have that on my board all the time. And, um, but it's great for like just quick ideas. Um, even if I'm just, you know, trying to come up with a, a, a part and I'll, you know, just create like a little rhythmic part and play against it. I do it live on acoustic gigs all the time. To me, it just, it, uh, just even just to add a little beat to a song that I can play to, uh, just makes it so much more interesting. To me, it, the, the loop pedal thing is one of the best practice tools, performance tools, like just for being able to sit there quickly and go, oh, I want to work on a certain scale pattern or something. Okay, well, I can quickly record a rhythm part and just instantly have something to practice to, or I want to practice building a harmony line on something. Well, I can record it and instantly play back to it. Like, I wish I had that when I was growing up. Like, what the, all the technology they do today. It's amazing. Hey guys, quick break to talk about the sponsor of today's show, Audioblocks. If you are looking for royalty-free music to use in your projects, say you are a YouTuber or you are some sort of content creator where you need music for whatever project you're working on, Audioblocks has one of the largest stock audio libraries in the world. Hundreds of thousands of studio clips, tracks, sound effects, and more updated all the time, always something fresh for you to go for, any type of genre or any type of sound you may be looking for, Audioblocks has got you covered. If you would like a discounted rate on an annual subscription, go to audioblocks.com slash musiciswin. That's Audioblocks, A-U-D-I-O-B-L-O-C-K-S dot com slash musiciswin. And now, back to Brian. All right, so I have uh, a little challenge for you. Yeah. Seeing as how you're you're this badass session guy, doing all this stuff, I'm gonna I'm gonna be the producer, and I'm oh, okay. and I'm gonna ask you to use your loop pedal and lay down some type of vamp, and then create a melody line that you think is memorable. Okay. Any genre doesn't have to be the greatest song in the world. Just the first thing that pops into your mind. Well, why don't you do this? Why don't you give me, uh, give me a key? Okay. How about A minor? A, a minor. Okay. Um. Uh, is it uh? You want true A minor or just based around an A minor chord? It doesn't matter. If I was the producer who didn't know much about harmony, I'd just say, "Play A minor, man. I don't care what you okay. do with it." Okay, how about this? I'll, I'll give you a chord. I'll do a chord progression that's um, kind of changes keys. I'll do like an A minor, um, F7. 
I made myself extra uh, challenging there because I, I didn't do it, you know, I didn't do the beat long enough. So it was like an odd measure. It was like, what was that? Five or something? Yeah. I was like, like the, you're really yeah, going yeah, out there. Yeah, I felt like I was in it. weird in there. Um, but hey, that's a challenge, right? Like you create now. So what I did was I purposely took two chords that were like not a hundred percent, you know, diatonic to one another. You know, if it were A minor to F, we'd be, you know, easy, right? But that F7 with, you know, getting that little, you know, E flat note in there, you know, is definitely going to be different than what you would have with a, you know, the A minor um, or in a regular, like, you know, A minor, you know, mode of C. Um, so really what I did as far as like creating the melody, I went like, okay, going to this other chord, this F7 that has that E flat note in it is to me the whole crux of that chord. So of that sound of the change. So I purposely went to that E flat, like every time that F came. So like A minor stuff, you know, going to that, like, so even if you didn't hear the, um, the rhythm track now, but I went like, Like, as soon as I go to that note, your ear is telling you, oh, that's where that, that other chord is. Um, so even without the rhythm track, it's... Like, that change is is kind of now etched in your brain from that. That's a great lesson for, uh, for you know, again, coming back to the idea of creating memorable lines. This is how you get callbacks because serving the song is the utmost importance for any musician, but especially a session musician. And that's an awesome exercise to, it doesn't necessarily matter. Like eventually maybe the height of mastery is being able to play memorable melodies without any chords behind, but starting like you did with some chords and highlighting the harmony with your melody and then removing that and seeing how the melody stands up to just open space. I think that's a really useful exercise. And and one one thing I will also say is tr like music is about like learning how to be a creative thief. Like it, it obviously comes from inspiration. Whether you sit down and learn songs from somebody or not, when you hear them, those melodies are part of like your internal structure and they will come out in your playing whether you try it or not. So like everybody's playing is some sort of you know, amalgamation of the all the stuff that they've absorbed. But if you learn, like, if you're look, if you're feeling like you're in a rut and you can't come up with ideas, like, I don't, I'm not saying like just take somebody's riff and and cop it and steal it, but like rhythmic ideas, like phrasing, is is key. Like finding like placement of notes and rhythmic phrases. Like, don't just listen to guitar players. Listen to the vocal melody. Learn the vocal melody. It's going to give you ideas. Um, Think of other songs. Actually, there's a, a bass player that I've worked with for years who's just a monster bass player and would do all these, you know, you know, plays everything great, but like obviously pop and slap is flashy, so everybody would ask him about like where he came up with his ideas. And he would say it really he didn't listen to other bass players to get ideas for that. He listened to drummers. So he would mimic like John Bonham drum fills like kick and snare. Like it was like you know, he's why, why just limit yourself to other guitar players for inspiration, right? Like if I'm sitting there and trying to like come, I'm bored with everything I'm playing. I might think of a, 
a vocal part from a song um, that like has a cool rhythmic structure to it. And I'll just use that, I'll hear that rhythmic structure in my head and, and play my own line to that pattern. Um, I, it could be a drum fill, it could be a sax part, it could be anything that you go like, oh, I can hear that, like um, the phrasing of it. Um, and, and again, like, all, you know, you go back to the players that everybody, you know, David Gilmore and all these people, like, it's like their parts are very vocal and musical and melodic. Um, and if you think like a melodic instrument and not just a, you know, breaking out of just patterns, you know, and boxes, which is tricky. I mean, you learn patterns and boxes to learn and they're great. Like you need them, but then learning how to get out of making your solos and your parts sounding like exercises and more like music um, is really just like listening and learning phrasing. Um, and melodic instruments tend to not because, you know, a saxophone player or a vocalist, they don't have a, a pentatonic box, right? It's all melody. You only have melody to go on. So they have to work in melodies. So sitting around and learning vocal parts on guitar is a really uh, informative way of going like, man, I never, it's the same note. It's the same notes within the scale that I would use, but I never would think to use them like that. Like the way the interval jumps or the phrasing, um, so that's that to me is like learning horn parts and keyboard parts and um, is 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 where to me I've gotten like the most interesting ideas is just stuff that doesn't come from a typical like guitar brain. Yep, that makes total sense. I have a personal experience with that. I learned this uh, tune. It's a Charlie Hunter song, but it's prim him, prim primarily saxophone. Uh, it's yeah. called Greasy Greasy Granny. So oh, yeah. anybody listening, check that out. I learned the uh, the whole sax part, uh, the melody and the solo, and it I played it for a um, a proficiency exam actually when I was in college, and I still remember that was like one of the coolest things because it's all by ear, right? You can't have any you know if people like to learn by tabs, you throw that out the window when it comes to learning horn parts, and it just really was one of the most important ear training exercises I ever learned was just transcribing. Not even, you don't have to write it out, but just using your ear to figure out various instruments and transcribe it into a guitar part is like probably the most useful, even more useful than learning actual guitar solos from your favorite guitar players. Being able yeah. to do that uh, is just kind of a step up. And um, you know, people are always asking me, what's the best, how do I get better at ear training? learn saxophone parts <laughs> well yeah sax and vocal anything yeah where it's like and when you're listening to those parts to me it's distances you're hearing the distances between notes like like and even if you learn it kind of on on one string so you can kind of to me it helps the idea of hearing like visualizing in interval jumps and getting the used to the sound of what it sounds like to go up a whole step and, and a half step and, and a minor third and a, and a third. And, um, you know, a, a great exercise to me is also like learning a vocal part and analyzing what intervals they're singing or a guitar part, whatever it could be, you know. And uh, I'm always amazed at like, oh, I wouldn't have thought to do that. Like I'm thinking more like straight chord tones when I'm playing something, but like finding like when are the the non-corn toads being used? When are they when are they resolving it? 
um, you know, guitar players tend to think so much mm -hmm. in patterns and trying to build speed that like sometimes the things that really are musical, like understanding like how to how to approach a melody from a theoretical point of view, um, you know, is not something or even rhythmic ideas. Drummers learn, you know, okay, you know, here are patterns um, playing on and against the beat, triplet patterns and stuff like that. Guitar players, it's just like you know, going through and playing quarter notes, eighth notes, sixteenth notes, but like triplets to me are like the most the coolest way to like create like syncopation against a beat and it happens all the time guitar players do it all the time like if i have a, a new student a kid learning and i start talking to them about triplets um not only how to hear them how to play them but also how useful they are like if you take like what to me what is the smoke on the water of this generation you know like it's just you know one and two and three and four, just the simple. But if you put a triplet in there, and it's just going down the one, two, three, right? And all of a sudden, you've created from these like four basic notes, and you put like this one little triplet in there, and it makes it so, you know, it adds this rhythmic spice to it that all of a sudden it elevates it to like, oh, here's this iconic guitar riff that every kid is going to learn, right? Because it's easy to play and it's interesting sounding. But if they can't hear what a triplet sounds like, just take that part where they go boom, and continue that. Like if it goes, like if it, here's, I'll just tap my foot on a beat, but if... And you just keep that... That little three over four thing and practice scales. Like if this is your, I mean... A metronome is better than my foot, but like if if this were like your metronome, practicing triplets over a metronome is probably the the best exercise. And then practice going in between, like you know, quarter notes. And those would be quarter note triplets, eighth note triplets, you know are a little easier because it's like three crammed in one beat. But um, if you do that, all of a sudden, the what sounds like a scale starts sounding like a riff or a melody, you know, just by inserting a triplet here and there. And, um, you know, the Seven Nation Army is the perfect example of like the simplest thing in the world that all of a sudden becomes interesting because of a triplet. Triplet but, is the ultimate rhythm. I mean, well, it's, it's, it's to me like the basis of like, getting used to syncopation. I mean, there's a million ways that you can, you know, play around the beat, but, um, but you could go back through, you know, decades and find songs where like the overall feel of the song is like the triplet is, is, is really what makes that song hooky. Um, um, I, you know, it's like everything needs tension, you know, chords, rhythm, you know, without tension, it's just all blah. Right. You know, so like every, We've talked about that, like in our in that the other video where we're talking about like taking weird tensions and making them, you know, usable within in a context. Same thing rhythmically, um, you know, putting things off of the beat is is what makes you know the world go round. You know, um, so just practicing everything in quarter notes and on the beat, you know, doesn't doesn't really do anything. Um, 
for learning how to create music rhythmically. And guitar drummers do it from day one in learning. Guitar players usually don't figure that out until they've been playing for a long time. Well, I knew we would end up down this little music theory rabbit hole. We always do. Yeah. Um, I want to let people know, we'll start wrapping up here. I want to let people know about all the places that they can find you. And I know I've, I've linked to your personal website. Starbelly mm -hmm. is also something I think that we should throw in the link section. Is there anything else that uh, you want people to know about at this point? Sure. Yeah. Well, Starbelly's got a Facebook page. Uh, the the website has been inactive for a long time, and I think. But um, um, and I've got um, I, like I said, I'm I've got a YouTube page up, but I'm uh, I I haven't really put anything lesson wise yet on it. Um, but there's a whole bunch of different like the the demo reels and a bunch of pedal demos and things are up there. Um, and uh, that's just going to be uh, under my name. Um. Cool, man. Well, thanks a lot for uh, for taking some time to hang on the old podcast airwaves. I, I really liked discussing the, the session stuff with you today because I think that's something that a lot of people are curious about, especially in this new age of technology and ways to get out there. There's more ways than ever to get out there, and as a result, there's just a lot more competition, I think. So any kind of useful tips uh, that people can get their hands on are much more valuable than you might think. So you know, if anybody has any any questions, um, you know, have them either comment on it or send them to you, and then maybe next time we get together and chat, sometime we can we can dig deep into whatever anybody wants to to hear about. I don't have to ask. People are very good about uh, leaving their questions and comments. So we'll yeah, we'll do a, we'll do like a viewers comments of the on the next time we meet up and uh, dive into our, our videos together and see what the common threads are. All right, the last thing we have to do, play a whole step bend. I'm not gonna tell you what I'm gonna play, and we'll see if they harmonize. Randomly pick, okay, got it. And there might be a little delay, so we'll just see what happens here. We're gonna go in. I'm gonna hide, I'm gonna hide my neck so you can't see where I'm going. Okay. One. Count me down. We'll do one, two, three, four, go. One, two, okay. three, four. What did you play? I played E to F sharp. Oh, so you played a nine. I played a D to E. Oh, there you go. That works. What well, gave us, yeah, it gave us this nice little, <laughs> see, tension. Oh, yeah. I love it. Nice, man. Well, uh, all right. Thanks for listening and watching, everybody. This was me talking to Brian Ewald. Find all of his links in the show notes and description, and we'll see you next time. Keep shredding. So there you have it, my friends. The second of two glorious parts of my awesome conversation with Brian Ewald. Make sure to check out the links in the show notes for all the stuff we mentioned about Brian's music. And of course, leave comments about what you would like me and Brian to talk about next time. We're going to be kind of doing this kind of chat more, I think, because I don't know, like I said, it's just so natural and fun to chat with him about guitar. 
and I will be seeing him again and we had an idea to perhaps do like a viewer's comments on the videos that we do together. So leave whatever questions you might have. Really thank you for all your support watching the podcast and downloading on iTunes if that's the preferred way you consume this thing. It's been a blast and I can't wait to have more guests and of course Bethany will be back very soon. Until then, keep shredding. Oh,